A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Jules Gill. Uh, what? Hi. Hello, and Josh Brown. Hello, fellas. Hey. On this beautiful, beautiful day, we thought, why not do all three of us, all three of the best boys in one place for the main What Culture Gaming Podcast, um, which we're just going to treat as a news podcast because all sorts of news stories flying around the industry right now and a lot of different meaty things to get stuck into. Um, so we'll just we'll just do as many of these as we can. There, there are lots of big stories here, lots of big details going on. Um, so hopefully I've managed to research enough stuff. Um, but the first one is that Beyond Good and Evil 2 has lost its managing director, Guillaume Carmona. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, like, we should talk about that initially before I get into some of the specifics of what the hell's going on over at Ubisoft. Jules, you had a little reaction to uh, Beyond Good and Evil too. Wow, what a surprise! The game that was never going to come out is not coming out even even slower. It's slower than ever. Fantastic, cool. <sighs> Who could have seen this coming? So I looked at, like, apparently it was first mentioned back in 2008. That was when they first started yep. teasing it. And the original Beyond Good and Evil was 2003. Um, my sort of, like, association with it is remembering when they brought it back in, I think, 2017. Yeah. Um, when they started mentioning it again because they were trying to stave off that Vivendi takeover. And they were like, you can't take us over. We've got projects, guys. And then that was one of them. <laughs> they were like, you can't possibly take us. The thing um, because I always of this. remember is just because of the, uh, the lead creator came out and he got such a rapturous applause to that um, uh, CGI trailer or teaser that mm. came out and to be honest it was impeccably crafted but then it was afterwards he was like crying and I stood there and I was like maybe maybe Beyond Good and Evil 2 will come out and then two days later I saw the gameplay footage for it and I was like ah nah, ah, nah. less nah. than 10% ready this is it's, you spent uh, but all even, the money even on that then. like you did a Valve you spent all the money on the CGI trailer and nothing else has been into it cool even then though that was like almost 10 years after and then it's just the, the state of like where now so many years later apparently it's now the longest game in development of all time it's now beaten Duke Nukem Forever um, Josh you're Beyond Good and Evil fan over there no but i beyond good and evil 2 has genuinely changed my life because it taught me not to trust anyone because i will never get the words this is day zero for development out of my brain because that's what they said after they dropped that um gameplay trailer and after they re-revealed it they said now is day zero of development and that's just like every red flag in the book you do not yeah. announce a game the day i know it's not literally the day but you know what i mean when development has just started that early that to me just proved like what you said there scott that it was a mm -hmm. desperate attempt to be like we have projects we have we projects got logos that guys asking for. Mm -hmm. this stuff's definitely happening no it ain't no it is not i just i don't know what you do with this at this stage because there's an there'll be an entire generation of people who weren't even on the planet when this thing when the original game first yeah, came out it for yeah 
Like, I don't, I don't even know, like, at this stage, the amount of money that this must have cost, and I get that they brought it, like I said, they brought it back into view in 2017, um, more just as a bargaining chip or whatever. They managed to not get bought out by Vivendi. Um, we've got more Ubisoft news um, later on, but I just think Beyond Good and Evil 2, uh, there's a few different things that Ubisoft are doing at the minute where it's just like, that is not it. Like, Skull and Bones ain't it. Um, you know, Because that got delayed again as well recently, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, we'll get on to what they're doing with Assassin's Creed in a bit. But some more stuff about Beyond Good and Evil 2. Um, like I said, they've lost the managing director. Apparently, they were rumored for a while that they weren't going to be coming back, and now they're not at all. Um, Ubisoft Montpellier are also under ins- investigation from the Inspection du Travail, which are the French Labour Inspection Office, just literally because so many members of that staff, um, that team, um, have left the project over Ooh. the years due to sickness and total burnout. Um, so this is quoting Kotaku's write-up on the uh, situation, saying dozens of developers at Ubisoft Montpellier are going on extended leave for stress or sickness, including many leads, according to three sources familiar with the studio's operations. Some of them have came back, while others eventually left the studio altogether. So, I, it, I mean, I can't even imagine what trying to bring that game together is. You don't have a creative lead. There's yeah. nothing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very resource-heavy game, that, isn't it? Because they mm. were saying that it's going to be open world in nature. It was going to have all of these crazy elements like space travel that was going to be added into it. And somebody was saying that you could travel from the uh, sort of futuristic cities up into space, travel through the galaxy. You are basically creating a game that most other games will look at and be like, whoa, pick one. Pick one of those yeah. features and make it good. And they were like, no, no, we can do everything. And then you're <laughs> saying that you're doing that without a creative director and a smaller team working for a company that is the drizzling piss at the moment because of the fact that it keeps on seeming to uh, make mistake after mistake, PR blunder after PR blunder. So you're just like, okay, should we just kill this now then? Should we just, t- should we just take the puppy out from the back and old yeller it right in the face? Mm-hmm. That report is interesting to me because in my ignorance and naivety, I actually forgot that there are real human beings working on mm. this game. Like you think of <laughs> projects like Beyond Good and Evil 2 and you assume that Ubisoft just kind of put it in a room somewhere and just has no one working on it and will get to it eventually. But mm. obviously there was a managing director There has been a team working on it in some form for this long even if it is just a small team, you know, doing bits and bobs here and there. But that must be, and seemingly is evident from this report, a demoralizing job to have oh, to be working yeah. on a game for maybe a decade at this point, maybe mm-hmm. even six or seven years that you know is nowhere near done. Like, that is a nightmare scenario, and surely those resources are better spent elsewhere even if it's just to give those people working on the project something tangible and something exciting and something that they can you know look forward to and not have being pied off in this way it would be (laughs) it would be so horrible to show up to work and think to yourself wow what i do doesn't matter like literally (laughs) nothing i do today is going to impact humanity in the slightest like Mm -hmm. to make this all about warhammer 40k which i know you boys love it when i do this time that you don't do i know there was a there's a short story that i was reading the other day about this factory right and you wait you basically your uh it's indentured servitude like you work in this factory from the day you're born to the day you die and you've got like a bomb collar around your neck and if you don't work you die like it's it's a horrible situation this is in this is in warhammer not I think you were talking about real life. This, no, right, no, no, okay. this is not in real life. Um, <laughs> although I will compare it to what the situation is with this team at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they do is they uh, make ammunition, right? But it's on this very toxic world. And all the ammunition goes out of this conveyor belt, out of the sight of the workers. And they think it's going on to the soldiers of humanity to fight the wars of tomorrow. 
What it's really doing is it's being dumped outside where it's being eaten by acid rain. So their lives mean nothing. Right. That's what this team is doing with uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2. Look, there are some Beyond Good and Evil fans out there. There's, there's at oh, least well, two three of them. them are probably very upset. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter, um, uh, Peter, what's his name? Uh, Peter Austin is one of them. <laughs> Yeah, I remember him being a huge fan back in the day. That's the thing. It's like it goes back that much. Like it's at multiple generations of what culture gaming zone presenters <laughs> exactly. have followed this over the years. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I do think they'll put something out eventually. It's a weird thing because I feel like the other game that's been in development for so long is Skull and Bones, and that has a specific. Um, I forget which country they've done a governmental mm. contract with to release it. Whereas this doesn't feel like it needs to come out. Like it feels like you could just get rid of it. But at this point, it's so much time invested that they. It's almost like they need to save face or something. Well, so Sea of Thieves came out, right? And basically, because those, mm-hmm. those two games were were announced kind of around the same time as each other. Originally, much, like yeah. way, way back. And everyone was like, oh, the pirate adventure game is finally here. We're going to take Assassin's Creed Black Flag. And that's going to be the piracy time is back. And mm-hmm. Captain Jack Sparrow, whatnot. But the fact that it's been delayed so much has meant that it's just like, what's the point of this game as well? Like, like surely they're mm. looking at the um, Sea of Thieves and the lack of enthusiasm that many players met it with, and we're just like, should we even bother with this one as well? Uh, like, <laughs> I don't know, what are they even tweaking at this point in time? Surely it's better for them to just squirt out whatever dross that they've made so far and just be done with it, right? I remember when, um, you know when they showed that like that demo off where it was like, you could fly yeah. around, it was like a certain city, yeah. and they had like bits of artwork, and um, some more like renders and stuff, what they were going for. It's like, it seemed like, because Ubisoft had like a weird tech demo in motion for like a No Man's Sky project, and I, it felt like they attached that to Beyond Good and Evil, the idea of like procedurally generated cities and planets and everything else. So like, I don't know if that's their hook, where they're just sort of like, well, No Man's Sky is still a big deal, or like an increasingly bigger deal, um, and like that's a safe thing to try and get the, the audience across or something. But yeah, it's just every time this comes up, it's like, I can't believe it's still a thing. Mm. My question is, it reminds me a lot of the Splinter Cell remake in that God, yeah. it doesn't even seem like a game that modern Ubisoft would make. And I'm not saying modern Ubisoft is good. I think they suck in the games that they have announced, <laughs> like X Defined or whatever don't sound like games I would be interested in. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I can't get my brain around the idea that Ubisoft in its current live live service chasing form is interested in stuff like Splinter Cell, is interested in stuff like Beyond Good yeah. and Evil. I don't know how those games and franchises mm-hmm. fit into its modern portfolio anymore. So mm-hmm. I would agree with like what you're saying, Jules, and what you're saying, Scott. Like, why are we still pushing along with this one mm-hmm. in particular? I'm sure it would let some people down, but is not cutting the cord a mercy compared to continually <laughs> continually dragging out the idea yeah. that it is coming for another five years, another 10 years or whatever? Well, I'm sure it was mentioned that um, the managing director, Guillaume Carmona, like, is a veteran of Ubisoft, has been there for, I think, 19 years. And so, like, they've spent a lot of their time trying to get this over the, the finish line, and even they couldn't do it. So um, that's, like, pretty telling. For the other piece of Ubisoft news, just to roll this in, and not to make it a big old Ubisoft hating pod, but I think it's, like, for me, Ubisoft stuff is fascinating because all three of us have grown up with the studio mm-hmm. for so long, and you watch them go through me, so, go through so many different phases um, of their career and focusing on so many different things. And when you're saying, uh, Josh, about, you know, what do they even want from this, and what is modern Ubisoft want to focus on um, they, they did just green light another five Assassin's Creed games this is five. going from oh my god <laughs> We're inside of gaming's Tom Henderson, um, and that's alongside two of them coming back this year. And we have Assassin's Creed Mirage this year alongside the VR game uh, mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Nexus. Um, so there are now 11 Assassin's Creed games in production. Um, and that's alongside, you know, Assassin's Creed Jade, Assassin's Creed Red. Yeah. Like, it no. just feels like they, they're just like, okay, this is the thing that'll save us. Yeah. This is what everybody wants, but it's just, it won't be. How the egg, eggs they... in the basket approach, isn't it? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How are they not looking? And I know it's not gaming, but how are they not looking at the issues currently facing other giant brands like Star Wars in the MCU at this mm-hmm. moment in time where they are going all in on a lot of different content and it's not working. You know, head of the Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, even a week ago said that they're reassessing plans because they're putting too much Marvel content out. They're making too many shows yeah. and they're mm-hmm. not capturing the zeitgeist in the same way. How do you capture the zeitgeist with 11 Assassin's Creed games? Like <laughs> yeah. some of those have got to just fall by the wayside be viewed as filler or be viewed as, you know, disposable. And again, mm-hmm. it comes back to the people working on these games. That sucks for them because they're putting so much passion in, they're putting so much energy into these titles, and they deserve more of a spotlight. They deserve more room to breathe. They deserve yeah. more creativity. But you've got to think of it like in dollars and cents then, because on paper, that to their investors is a beautiful mm. thing because it's the security of a franchise that they're they're not looking 10 years down the line at what state the Assassin's Creed franchise is going to be in then when people are sick and bored of the homogenous experience of the same old slot every single year they're mm-hmm. looking at it right now thinking Assassin's Creed is still hot it's still cool yo fellow kids <laughs> and that is really problematic VR, guys. because of the fact that they are basically planning 11 years into the future and yet they're not actually planning at all. What they should be mm. doing, in theory, is for every Assassin's Creed game or their bankable title, they should be taking a risk on a smaller title. One and one, one and one, one and one. Because yeah. at least that way, you're gestating ideas that could then turn into bigger franchises while leaning on your kind of evergreen franchise that is the Assassin's Creed thing. It seems mm. so simple, but unfortunately, that is riskier. And that isn't a I think safe it's just bet the- for them. Yeah, like the size that they've got to, and like you said, the shareholders that they need to appease and the idea of like, okay, what are the safe bets that we've got? Let's go down this route. Because um, apparently what part, one part of this report was that internally they want to try and get back to the idea of doing something every year and trying to get back to the idea of doing two Assassin's Creed That's games a mistake. A that is a huge, Absolutely. huge mistake. Two Assassin's Creed games a year. When you think <laughs> that the, the minimum playtime on each one, just to see it through, is about 30 to 40 hours, maybe 60 mm-hmm. tops with all of the collectibles in. It's going to be open world games. We're going to see so much more generic landscapes as a result because of the fact that they're going to be like right how do we make this game feel bigger i don't know make the game bigger but put less in it cool that's awful I think the thing is, like, they seem to be doing this whole thing where they have, like, certain core, like, open-world Assassin's Creed games mm. like uh, Hex and Jade and Red, um, the one that's, like, set in Japan. There's, like, a witch trials kind of themed one. But then they also have stuff like Assassin's Creed Nexus, which is the VR one. And then they also have a whole bunch. There's, like, another trilogy of side-scrolly ones that are coming. So it's, like, I think they're thinking, like, we'll do one main one and one side one every year. But I just, I don't know, it's almost like the, like the Nintendo approach where it's, like, you get a Mario game every year. It might not be a main Mario game, but you'll get something with Mario in it but at least every single yeah. Yeah. Is it, they, they, at least they take a risk on each one of the Mario games that comes out. I mean, what what's what is the safest Mario game that they put out recently? That was the 3D World Balancers Fury, whatever it was, yeah. expansion. That expansion still changed a ton of elements on a game that people already thought they knew. Nintendo mm-hmm. were great at reinventing the wheel to be a bigger, shinier wheel. I don't know how they do it, <laughs> but I don't think that Ubisoft is capable of doing the same thing. I, I cannot think of anything less that I'd want to do with my life than play a 3D... 3D action stealth game and then play a 2D action stealth game and then play a, a <laughs> VR stealth game and then a card See, trading can, stealth game. I can game. go I like, for on. 
I can go for like because the thing is that, that idea, the one that's coming this year. I guess it's like getting thoughts on that. Like Assassin's Creed Mirage is meant to be this like return to the original Assassin's Creed game. You where can't it's focused say on that though because it's the old assets. It is a literal return <laughs> to the old games because it's the unfinished one from 2017. Like, well, it I, might I, be I beautiful. Gen- I genuine, you know? I'm, I'm fuming at them doing this for their marketing because everyone's like, oh yeah, it's a return to form. Assassin's Creed is going to be great again. It's like no, they're literally again. just taking it from the golden era of games that didn't make the final cut, expanding on it, and probably adding in a ton of microtransactions actions and the absolute bull that we don't like about current era Assassin's Creed and we'll still get a ton of positive PR praise for it. It'll be shorter and focused. Josh, when do you come down? It'll be shorter. That's a selling point. Put that in the box art. Assassin's Creed shorter. It'll not be 70 hours long. It is shocking that that is a selling point at this point. (laughs) That's where the bar is. Nah, man, it's always fascinating to me that no matter the industry, no matter the company, on a long enough period period of time, you will just see that company repeat cycles of mistakes that they have made before. You know, 10 Mm. years ago when we were around the time of Assassin's Creed Unity and Assassin's Creed, um, the other one, set in Victorian times. Yeah, that just shows you, doesn't it? That just shows you. It is so memorable. Oh my God, it took me a minute. Syndicate. (laughs) Yeah, Syndicate, you know. The issue with the franchise there apparently was that the annual um, release schedule was killing it. You cut Mm -hmm. forward another 10 years and now the solution to save Assassin's Creed is an annualization process <laughs> yeah. and it, the writing seems to be on the wall from any yeah. outsider who can remember 10 years ago know, which I you know. have to assume because none of their shareholders can, probably can but, yeah they're just well, sort of no, like oh well but it is like what Jules was saying I do think it's the natural progression point because you take the franchise off the annualization process and you say smaller games I mean not smaller games uh, you know bigger release windows will mm-hmm. save this franchise instead of mm. one every year we'll have one every two years and then suddenly you see an uptick in sales you know Odyssey does incredible Valhalla does incredible yep. and then you get to the point like you guys were saying you have to go to the shareholders and explain well how do we expand how do we keep growing the franchise and then someone has the bright idea of well what if we had one of these big hits every year instead of every two years yeah okay i can't argue with that in theory but you've got to remember as well that a lot of the shareholders i know that this is going to sound strange to some people they're not video game fans like loads of Mm. people who invest in video games have no concept of what the video game industry is it's literally just money and projects to them it's a portfolio of ideas they're hedging Mm. their bets with millions potentially of other options and they're just putting in a a ton of money here a ton of money there it will all make back its money because of just spread betting that's literally Mm. what it comes down to (laughs) So when you go up to somebody and say, look, okay, we're releasing too many Assassin's Creed games. We're going to see diminishing returns. All they're going to see is like, but we're still getting money back though, right? And they go, yeah, I guess so. It's like, well, (laughs) that's all I need to hear. That's all I'm here for. Yeah, I feel like like that's the thing. Like going forward, it's like, do they? Is this the death of the this level of Ubisoft, where like they'll try all this stuff, a certain amount of these bets will pay off, but I feel like overall they can't continue like this at this level. I mean, they they're clearly struggling to stay at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like even Far Cry, like Far Cry Six, didn't go down very well. They don't really have that many IP that are of yeah. this level. So you know they're doubling down on that stuff, but they don't have anything else going on. And you know what's insulting about this, fellas, or what really ticks me off the most is that you have these mandates that come down from the top. You know, make me 11 Assassin's Creed Mm -hmm. games. The company is in dire straits. We need to turn things around. And then they have the gall 
to email their developers and say, well, ball's in your court now. <laughs> yeah. Make this work. Oh, We've given man. you this mandate. Make it work. And if it doesn't, it's your fault. Get out of it. I know, man. <laughs> How would you ever stay motivated in that thing? Especially, right, okay, Josh, imagine if it was me and you, right? And Scott was our boss. He comes in. He's like, right, you're both working on Assassin's Creed games. Uh, Josh, you're working on number two of 11. Jules, you're working on number 10. I'm just going to sit there going like... I, I'm just going to pack my bags now, mate, because 10, 10. Like, We've got a 10-year plan, got, yeah, so we're going yeah, to oh, check back I'll, in. I'll start tinkering away with this. Oh, what's that? The plan's changed by the time that five has come around and failed spectacularly. <laughs> oh, cool. Jules is out with his little bindle now as he's on the streets again, <laughs> dancing for coppers. <laughs> He's got the mobile game with him. The full ones have been left behind. Does anyone, does anyone want to play a side-scrolling Assassin's Creed game? I've got one here for you. I can monetize it. Uh, yeah, I feel like overall, I just don't feel like this is the way. I mean, obviously, everyone knows this. Like Josh said, writing's on the wall. It has been for so long. Um, I was quite surprised that this um, headline existed, that they're not only doing more Assassin's Creed, but doing another five. And I feel like overall, yeah. you know, Patrice Desolet is so long gone. The dude that originally spearheaded the original set of games um, is just so long gone. They don't, I think like the whole thing that seems to be doing the rounds in big business and like in regards to bigger wider franchises Hollywood type stuff is you need a Kevin Feige you need someone overall DC finally got James Gunn Assassin's Creed doesn't seem to have that person it just seems to be the overall team approach they're going all in on IP and they don't care who is at the helm it Mm. reminds me of Mm. probably going on a decade ago now where they bought the name to the Tom Clancy name, and they just started yes. slapping it on everything because they thought, well, Tom Clancy game sell, sell. Tom it doesn't matter yeah. if the uh, so yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter if the subject matter reflects what that name initially represented. It's that you know the name itself sells. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's a hollow yeah. thing to throw on. It's something recognizable. And I think mm-hmm. you see that with Ubisoft top to bottom. It's like, well, Assassin's Creed sells, but what is Assassin's Creed? We don't care. It could be yeah. a sl- side scroller. Yeah. It could be a small game. It could be a big game. Just get mm. it out. You know. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if this is the turning point. Like, this is going to be the generation of the death of the creative, as in the creative lead. Because, as Scott was saying before, there are so many projects that are, they are absolute unstoppable juggernauts at this present time. But their creative leaves have actually left. Like, GTA 6 is in a free fall because the original mm. people have left. Obviously, we've just detailed that Assassin's Creed's in the same boat. When um, Konami decided to try and uh, squirt out uh, Metal Gear Survive, just because of the fact they thought that it was the brand of the Metal Gear that mm-hmm. carried it rather than the creator, it makes you wonder, with all these people stepping back from the projects, I mean, what's going to happen when, like, Amy Hennig wants to step away from, uh, like, certain franchises that she's made? It's going to be a case mm-hmm. of, like... What goes on after the fact? People younger than us are going to come in and be like, "Why was this series so good?" Like, like, <laughs> like, and now I have no idea that it's like it's nothing compared to what it was originally. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. So, mm. yeah, it's going to be an interesting I feel like there's one. a wider like conversation on the importance of auteurs and like mm. that idea of like the, the reappreciation that the Star Wars prequels have because they even if they stumbled a lot and were all over the place and were course rough and irritating and got everywhere, at least George Lucas was <laughs> doing his thing. Um, and, you know, at least that was one person trying to guide a ship kind of yeah. thing versus the Disney uh, approach, which is a lot more scattered. And like you kind of had the Ryan Johnson like that tap back into the idea of like a individual focus. But then they went back on the groupthink thing for uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And it's just... I feel like the big business um, in, in creative industries has a weird relationship with autorism or a weird relationship with individual, you know, hanging an entire thing on a person. Even though, like I said, the likes of DC seem like they figured that out with James Gunn. But in gaming, Assassin's Creed is something as big as the MCU mm-hmm. or maybe used to be or whatever. And they don't really seem to have a way forward with it. Um, so, yeah, overall, Ubisoft poop in the bed <laughs> when it comes to Beyond Good and Evil 2 uh, and also the Assassin's Creed stuff. Um, next news item down is the next Persona game. Apparently, it's been internally delayed and um, Persona 6 is the next uh, numbered game and this comes from a known uh, Persona insider called I'm a Hero 2 known amongst the community as uh, <laughs> tapping into various things relating to Persona absolute zero chance Persona 6 releases this year it was just delayed internally uh, yesterday uh, which I guess will be Monday it was like the uh, it went up like during mm-hmm. the night for us um, there is a rough time frame in place but I can't share anything um, Josh I know you're not a massive Persona fan but Jules no. is what do, we, no. what do you think yeah. of the old I'm, Atlas. Do you know what? I'm I'm actually kind of disappointed to see that this is uh, slipping here because... Six I, years since Persona 5. You know? And that's the thing, my friend, is that we are now <laughs> also entering into a, uh, a period of longing for the next Persona game. And mm. I feel like they really hit that sort of... They captured that lightning in a bottle with uh, Persona 5 because it really captured the world's imagination at the time. Uh, mm. People who maybe heard of how good Persona 3 Golden was and Persona 4's greatness were suddenly brought into the fold with Persona 5 because it was a mainstream success not just for that franchise but RPGs, JRPGs overall Mm. and it's annoying that they couldn't capitalise on that straight away and push forward with a next numbered sequel or at least have something by now to show people to satiate that appetite Um, Mm -hmm. we got a few spin-off games, we got the yeah, Dynasty. there's like strikers. And there's stuff. a Dynasty Warriors like clone strikers there that's out there. We've obviously had the re-releases several times of Persona Five, mm. but all it's done is make people want more 
of this franchise. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it begs the question, why is it being delayed? Because yeah. like, is it going to be because of the fact that the game isn't ready? It just is, um, there's been issues because of the COVID pandemic, which obviously is still affecting lots of big budget games. I mean, they're on a delay for nearly a year and a half for some mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say. Really, I think there's like a generation behind. I mean, like Persona 4, when it finally came out, was on PS2, even yes. though we were like, it was right on the cusp of the PS3 coming out. Um, but the thing with like Persona 5, I feel like that was their biggest release so far. Yeah, like, that 100%. was the thing that sort of blew up so much. It had such an identity to it. There were memes everywhere of all the different like bits of music yeah. that were in it and everything. And it was the Persona that like steered right into like, okay, it's set in Tokyo. It has all these different like regions and stuff. I don't know where you go with Persona 6. Like, it's like, do you go even bigger, like multiple cities or something? It's like Persona always excels because they pick yeah. a specific location. It's, it's really weird um, because yeah. if you look at the sort of like scope of it, they've chosen small rural towns um, and then mm. they've sort of, like you said, gone to the heart of Japan, going into Tokyo. It's like, do you mm. then go and completely take it to the spiritualist nature and go maybe to Kyoto and you do a sort mm. of like a mix of the two worlds of what Japanese culture is of traditionalist mm. and um, uh, tech focused? That could be, be cool. that could make for a very uh, fun time. But mm-hmm. wherever they choose to go, it's going to be great because we all know it's going to be the same kind of story as much as people really will hate me for saying this. <laughs> It is kind of just a load of school kids having a laugh and then someone gets well, murdered. The thing is, like, oh, dear. I- Having gone back through Persona 4 recently because my wife's going through it, I love all the murder mystery stuff that's in 4 and I always thought that was annoying that you didn't have so yeah. much of a, a plot pull in 5 where it was just all the adults suck, go change their hearts, yeah. go change their minds. Like, And that was it. That's all you got and it's fine enough but over 70, 80 hours of story. Yeah. Or 100 not much if you're playing the royal version. Yeah, exactly. And so like, yeah, I kind of wonder what they do in terms of like a lot of people love 4's story because it is so unique in that regard. What would be nice like, is you, if they t- you know, are taking the time to rewrite some of their approaches on gay and trans uh, ideology because that would mm-hmm. be uh, quite interesting because they're quite regressive when you go back and play the whole games. Uh, just depictions like, of women would be yeah. better. Oh yeah, yeah. just you know what? Just, I tell you what, why don't we just take the big three, the misogyny, uh, trans rights and gay rights and we'll just we'll just readdress all of them I feel would be quite good for uh, Atlas. <laughs> Atlas are long long overdue. Yeah. Um, in regards to I mean Josh you're a massive turn based fan, will you be getting Persona <laughs> six? He loves it. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, you know what, right? With with Persona, it's kind of like Yakuza slash Like a Dragon, mm-hmm. where I am jealous that everyone else has this experience with it. How many months, how many years have people talked about Persona 5 for now? Like oh, you yeah. said, yeah. memes, you know, constantly referencing it as one of the potentially greatest games ever made in yeah, some respects. Persona mm-hmm. as a formula is so in-baked uh, into the minds of so many gamers around the world. And as an outsider, I'm simply jealous that I don't get to experience <laughs> that and I'm looking for a jumping on point. But because these games are so long and so intimidating, mm. uh, I, ne- there's never a right time. So for me, it is waiting for the next numbered installment to come along to mm. hopefully kind of onboard me smoothly <laughs> with a more accessible experience where I don't feel like I'm playing catch-up all the time. Josh is <laughs> waiting for that Mass Effect it's the best starting point line isn't yeah, it yeah yeah you want to you want to dive in i mean the thing is like they're never gonna if they ever did a persona that wasn't 80 to 100 hours long it would just get so decreed by the fans or whatever yeah. um but that is also the thing i mean i finished persona 4 i've never finished persona 5 even though i have put 80 hours mm-hmm. into my save um, and i must be somewhere near the end of it but at some point it's like oh my god can i just have my life back like i've been on this for so long um and maybe they'll find a way of um of refining those things but either way um yeah according to uh, i'm a hero 2 it's not coming this year 2020 Um, So the next thing is all the big stuff going on with the Microsoft Activision deal, um, which continues to go back and forward. Obviously, there's different thoughts on it per region. Um, The most recent thing comes from 
EquityReport.com saying that Microsoft's latest move is to create a 10-year plan, making sure that all Activision Blizzard releases appear on all platforms, um, which apparently the European Commission and China's government are more open to accepting overall. Um, it's the UK's CMA that are still the sticking point um, as to whether the entire deal goes through um, for us. Um, this also goes alongside uh, Video Game Chronicles' Andy Robinson tweeting that, I know a lot of industry pundits think Microsoft selling off Xbox is a genuine possibility should the deal get blocked. I still expect it to go through, but with certain concessions. Capitalism has proved time and again the conventional logic doesn't really matter if the graph doesn't point up enough. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit more to this um, as well because uh, there's a whole thing going on with Microsoft entering into another 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo platforms. Um, they've said it'll all be feature content complete with other consoles. Um, and so there's all that stuff as well. So they're trying to do as much as they can to, I, I guess, almost force Sony to accept it because that's the thing that keeps going back and forward is that Sony just refused to let this go through. So they they obviously are refusing because they think that they're going to lose access to these franchises going forward. Um, yes. Right? But this 10-year deal basically would say to them that's not going to be the case. You will have access to them. Yeah, but only for 10 years. I think that's the thing. It's like, it's always like, you know, Phil Spencer's just... a huge amount of time. I mean, that's at least three or four Assassin's Creed's down the line. We don't need to worry about that right now. Yeah, you have plenty of that. Loads of VR experiences and everything. I think, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that Phil Spencer is saying is that we'll guarantee there'll always be, you know, the games will always be available on Sony platforms. Um, Everything will always be fine. Don't worry about it. But I think if you're anyone like a Jim Ryan or whoever Mm -hmm. succeeds him going forward, um, I mean, if I was Sony, I wouldn't be letting it go through. Like, it's, it's a countdown until you lose those franchises. Even if they say that things will be multi-platform, um, Spencer has gone back on that multiple times. Like the whole thing with um, Elder Scrolls and everything. It's like going forward, they yeah. will be available in a place where Game Pass exists. And it's like, and that is like a roundabout way of saying, well, you can still have an Xbox app if you want, which seems to be the way that things are going to get on Nintendo platforms. Um, but yeah, it's just this weird thing where um, there's also a clause in the deal um, that Microsoft still have to pay $3 billion if it doesn't go through, um, which obviously is a almost a drop in the ocean yeah, compared to yeah. the overall amount that's um, on the line. But they very much need this to go through. So they're trying to recruit Nintendo on board. They're trying to offer all these other platform incentives um, to try and move the needle, I guess, um, in a governmental space. Is it not worth Sony maybe calling their bluff a little bit here? Because Mm. it's like, okay, yeah, we get the 10-year deal. And then when that goes away, uh, you will say whenever Game Pass exists or whatever... Mm-hmm. they then become in a negotiating factor because Game Pass will need to be on their consoles uh, because mm-hmm. otherwise a huge player base is going to be cut out of experiencing those games. And that's just going to affect the bottom line of those games. Like, yes, you could that's say... That's been that their the, argument so far. The, the exclusive war um, is going to always be a thing. I remember back when we were young kids, it was a case of like, if you had an Xbox or a PS2, you'd argue over which version of the same hmm. game was even better sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I do think that that maybe Sony aren't out in the cold when it comes to negotiations to to be at least like okay cool you need this on our console as much as we need your games so let's come to an agreement that actually benefits both parties mm. surely that, well, that's, in, some in, of that in a, in a been, nice world that's how it should work right some of that has been what their um, what they, they say that bolsters their argument because it's like look it wouldn't make sense for us to take it away from PlayStation mm. but the the bit in the middle of that is that it would be on PlayStation but under an Xbox app or whatever I think it's just playing that big long game of having an Xbox logo in front of Call of Duty mm-hmm. or things like that um, to just remind people that like hey it's actually if you don't sp- don't spend £70 over here come get it on Game Pass come get an Xbox do that it's all long term thinking imagine for the Xbox if, Imagine if Sony were like really smart about this and they said like you know what fine like we're not going to make the, the big bucks on this deal like they've already got the company that makes the games they can do what they want with it and we're mm-hmm. going to be kind of fruitless to stop them if this deal does go ahead so what they should do is should be like right okay we will allow Game Pass on the um, on Sony uh, PlayStation products going forward 
Mm. Um, but you have to host all the server stuff. You have to sort all the tech stuff. You have to sort all of this. And we'll just take a cut for basically passive revenue and using our hardware as a projection device for it. Mm -hmm. Because if they did that, then they basically have next to zero overheads, but yet we'll be able to make massive <laughs> amount of gains on just the small in increment of just being like, cool, yeah, you can use our machines as a streaming device effectively. Well, that's the thing. I think, yeah, I think all that stuff kind of goes in their favor because it's also the whole wider, right? Like, well, I guess actually, Josh, what do you think of all this stuff? Because there's a lot, there's a lot going on in this hey, I've been I've been following it because I think it's quite fascinating how at every roadblock, Microsoft just offers out a new variation on a 10-year deal. Initially, mm -hmm. it was like, do you want Call of Duty for 10 years? And they said no. And now it's like, well, what if we give you every Activision game for the next 10 years? Yeah. Will that do it? And the UK government is still like, I don't know about that. Maybe not. The UK, by the way, which is rarely funny, but is very piss funny with this deal, I think. I've been uh -huh. following their responses to the proposals, and I loved about a month ago where they said, yep, yeah, you know what, this deal can go through if you don't actually own all of the companies you want to buy. If you want to just get Activision, fine. If you want okay. Blizzard, that's fine. Yeah. You can't have Activision Blizzard King, so oh you can definitely God. buy it <laughs> if you don't buy it. I and they just seem to be like putting up these roadblocks. Potentially rightly so, because there will be a monopolistic element. I do kind of disagree with maybe some of your uh, arguments there that Sony might benefit further on down the line, because I don't see them ever viewing oh, games. I'm looking at this machine. as a very silver lining situation. Right. They are screwed, like the mate, no matter what. The, but at the yeah. same time, I'm just thinking that if I was a Sony guy trying to basically talk to my president about this and try and convince him that <laughs> this, this is going to be okay, that's how I would do it because mm. I ain't got much else, man. You you, you question me and my house of cards is already falling. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very true. It's like, yeah, they're trying to make the best case scenario out of this. And, and what will that be? Game Pass on PlayStation? Yeah. That might say she them for a little bit but ultimately they've got their own subscription service that yeah. they would want to push could mm. they make a call of duty competitor in 10 years potentially but they're quite self-defeatist on that point and they keep saying to these regulatory bodies that they definitely can't so if they don't even have faith in it you doubt that will ever come to fruition it's just a it's just i love a that by the way that, that moment when they were just there like it's like we, we can't compete and it's like guys try and he's like no we can't there's no <laughs> point trying i don't i can't For do it it's too shooters. hard it's too what hard. even are they you just bought we, Bungie we and they're like, nah, nah, who are they? We, we can't <laughs> compete. Nah, nah, nah. Bungie, that's, never see, heard of them. That's my whole like wider part of this is the idea that like it's not like Call of Duty has like slowed down. I mean, it, maybe it has like, incrementally or whatever. It's still an absolute juggernaut. But it's is it going to still be that juggernaut in another 10 years? Like, I mean, it's it's like a weird thing where it's like, it's Call of Duty like the be all and end all of all franchises. To, I mean, it is one of the biggest IPs in the world. But I just wonder, like, it's like, is it right now, is it still as on fire as it was in a good way as it was? back when the original Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2 came out. Like, can that happen again? We've done that once over. We rebooted Modern Warfare. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you do that again mm -hmm. in another 10 years? Like, he's, yeah. he's the thing, right? And this is why I would never bet against the appeal of Call of Duty, is that, yes, mm. it might wane. Yes, it might not be as big as it once was. But I remember... It, 10 years ago in 2013 when we got Ghosts and we got Advanced mm. Warfare and we got in Infinite Warfare and we were all asking the question of the fr 
is the franchise finally dying? Will it be as big as it is now in 10 years' time? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was, you know what I mean? And we yeah. were yeah, saying that wrong. even back in 2007 when we got the annualized COD 4, we got Black Ops, we got uh, you know Modern Warfare 2. We were thinking then, will they be able to sustain this even for five, six, seven, eight, nine years? And they could. So it's yeah. like, it's, I would never say never, but Call of Duty is this established juggernaut. And as long as they keep having a good game now and again, which they mm. are capable of putting out because they do have a lot of talented developers. I don't see it going anywhere in 10 years, especially. Maybe it will start waning after that, but I do think the next 10 years, especially with the recent introduction of Warzone, which yeah. is doing incredibly yeah. well, they're starting to diversify. They're starting to refine that spark. And I feel like they are on a kind of upward trajectory right now. I always thought of uh, the Call of Duty franchise as being uh, my example of the Choco Krispies uh, style of gameplay. Now, now this is this is an old <laughs> deep cut. This is. Do you remember back in the day that for some ungodly reason, Coco Pops decided to change their name to Choco Krispies? Right. It was there. Very vaguely. Yeah, right. It was there for about I don't know a couple of months at a time. And what they made you do was that they f- made you phone in so that you would basically say, "I want the name back to co- to Coco Pops," and it would cost you money. And then they changed it back at the end of the day. The decision was always going to be to change it back to Coco Pops. It was just an advertising campaign to get you to spend money to do that. Now I think that Call of Duty operates on the same mentality. It puts out a duff game every once in a while on purpose. <laughs> so they make you go, oh, this, this franchise isn't very good, but everyone bought it anyway. It can't, it's not that good sort of thing. But then when the next game comes out, they say, guess what, lads? Call of Duty's back. <laughs> Call of Duty's back, lads. They hey, listen to hey, all of our hey, complaints. Hey, 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 hey. Hit you with a hype pipe over the face and you've bought that game and the previous one because you thought to yourself, oh, it's on discount now. So this is it. They're going to get you no matter what. That was the weird, like, Sonic conspiracy when the movie came out. Oh, they released the terrible version first so they can pretend that they're listening to everyone's complaints and they were always going to do right by everybody later down the line. I don't necessarily buy that, although history does keep proving that correct to some degree. (laughs) The thing that I think is interesting with COD is that considering the size of it and the amount of teams that have done the the rotating uh, internal amount of teams uh, keeping all the annual annual releases coming out, they've never really fallen. Like, the thing that killed Assassin's Creed was that weird Mm -hmm. year where we got Unity and Rogue in the same year and then Unity was just on fire and then syndicate was fine but it wasn't like that great there's never been a truly terrible call of duty like black ops 4 was pretty threadbare ghost, ghost was pretty bad let's face it yeah but it was still functional like it wasn't like it was like you know completely mm. falling apart wireframe mesh the character's face won't stay on oh, like I get they've never you, yeah. you know like unity was was playable. like unity was, was hilarious <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly like you could still move around and shoot stuff um and like some people liked all the dog stuff that was in ghosts but still Overall, I feel like they've never... That's the thing that I can almost hinge it on. It's like if Call of Duty ever stumbles really notably, there's now more money on it than ever Mm -hmm. um, and more impetus on it than ever um, to get that stuff right. I think you saw that with uh, the 2019 Modern Warfare reboot because that could Mm. have been make or break for the franchise. You know, we had a few years of stagnant releases where it looked like Call of Duty might be left in the Mm. past, whether other franchises and other models were going to take over it. And then that 2019 game came out with a brand new engine and suddenly it played better than almost any other first-person shooter on the market. You know, like mm-hmm. that engine was so good, it kind of revitalized the whole thing. And now they've kind of given that another revamp with One Warfare 2, and the rest of the games kind of start to converge. The rest of the games in the franchise, you know, the made by other developers, start to 
get that same level of quality by using that same engine that is still technologically above a lot of the competition. So I think as long as it keeps those innovations alive and mm. remains at the cream of the crop from a gameplay feel perspective, I think that's will ultimately keep it alive in the long run where it doesn't feel stagnant. You know, I love Battlefield in its current form. I love Battlefield 5, I love yeah. Battlefield 2042, but there was a time so where actually- the Battlefield franchise... Yeah. Oh, oh man, that, oh, that game's got good. That game's got real good. That's actually, recently. oh man, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't go on for it because of the fact it had the bad Rocky Launch. Sorry, I, I cut you off then. My, my, my. No, no, no. I would just even, even for as good as it is, though, I will concede that technologically it doesn't really feel like it's kept up. You know, it's lost right. a lot of yeah. Yeah, its yeah. signature elements. The destruction isn't as good as it once was. The gameplay yeah. feel is better, but it doesn't feel massively different from two or three games ago. And I feel like that needs its own Modern Warfare 2019 to kind of stay alive, yeah, a proper yeah. new engine, uh, a real feeling that it's at the cutting edge of what first-person shooters can be. And that is, to Call of Duty's credits, what it managed to do to reinvent itself mm-hmm. that way and say, look, we've, we used to set the bar, now we've set the bar again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like betting the house on the idea that like, we're going to revisit the past. We're going to steer into the high, the high point of the IP overall, and then do it all over again. And that what that yeah, it, right now it's in a solid place, especially gameplay wise. I forgot genuinely about Black Ops Cold War. That was maybe the most forgettable COD oh, that we've yeah. had recently. Um, but that's the thing. It's like the worst that COD can be is forgettable. Like Black yeah. Ops Cold War still played fine enough. You can still actually play it in a way that you couldn't play some other big AAA games like a Cyberpunk, like an Assassin's Creed uh, Unity. So yeah, for me, it's like that's the going to interesting part of it as well there's so much literal tens of billions of dollars now hinging on the um the popularity of the ip and especially going forward now they're planning decades in advance um it's just kind of fascinating that a lot of the the only ip that keeps getting mentioned for this deal is call of duty and that's what was at the center of the nintendo deal as well um it's almost like the entire company is call of duty at this point mm-hmm. uh, which is mean, kind of crazy we're, we're assuming as well that if this microsoft deal does go through that they're not going to change anything what if they <laughs> do mm-hmm. what if they do take a leaf out of Assassin's Creed's book from 10 years ago and start in building that scarcity so you don't become so familiar with Call of Duty every single year what if they take Mm. a year off and then the hype will be ravenous even if it's just a year off and it's a two year wait you know people will be in my opinion ravenous for what Call of Duty is going to do next because they've actually been starved of it if anything I think Call of Duty right now or at least for the past three years up until this most recent release, had a kind of uh, a frequency problem, a volume problem, where you had all of these games that could have sustained themselves for years be cut short because they had the annualized release. Like Call of Duty 2019 with the implementation of Warzone could have absolutely continue to sell and continue to engage the community for at least two years you didn't need cold war and one Mm. of the biggest criticisms of cold war and later vanguard was that it didn't feel like it was a proper successor to modern warfare because people were still interested in that they still wanted to play it and they kind of felt like those games overshadowed it so i think that Mm. if microsoft did come in and say look we're not doing the annualized thing anymore we'll still get a bunch of call of duties out but it'll be every two years that will actually increase its uh, longevity and will make it more likely that in 10 years' time we're saying, oh, can you believe we ever doubted this franchise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's definitely that whole idea that I remember Strauss Zelnick saying that about GTA, like we need to rest it in between, like, you need to rest the IP so that it pays off more um, when the next one comes around. Um, for now, though, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, uh, your host? Hello, I've been host. your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Jules Gill. Thank you very much for having me. And joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, fellas.
Always a pleasure to do this every now and then, and we'll catch you all next time. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23.